Hello and welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. I'm Paul Martin. I used to be a Pentecostal and Presbyterian preacher. After studying the Bible and church history afresh, I converted to Catholicism. My topic today is purgatory and prayers for the dead. And prior to me becoming a Catholic, the doctrine of purgatory was one of the biggest barriers I had to conversion. Purgatory is very clearly taught in Scripture in 2 Maccabees chapter 12 verses 38 to 46. But because Protestants don't accept that book and a few others as Scripture, I never noticed the teaching. Once I found out that the early church believed in Maccabees and that it was in line with the rest of scripture and it was part of the original Bible, that was what led me to Catholicism. And once I accepted that book as scripture, I had no problem accepting the doctrine of purgatory. Now for Protestants listening to this, or Catholics who are not too sharp on their church's doctrines, Purgatory is not some in-between place between heaven and hell. All those who are unsaved, who are lost, when they die, they go straight to hell. Those that are saved go either to heaven or purgatory. And it depends on how much or what sin is in their life. I'm going to read 2 Maccabees chapter 12 verses 38 to 46. Judas reorganized his army and then went to the city of Adullam. Since it was the end of the week they purified themselves according to custom and celebrated the Sabbath there. On the next day the companions of Judas went to take away the bodies of the dead. It was urgent to do it and bury them with their relatives in the tombs of their fathers. They found under the tunic of each of the dead men objects consecrated to the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbade the Jews to wear. So it became clear to everyone why these men had died. Everyone blessed the intervention of the Lord, the just judge who brings to light the most secret deeds. And they prayed to the Lord to completely pardon the sin of their dead companions. The valiant Judas urged his men to shun such sin in the future, for they had just seen what their own eyes, what had happened to those who sinned. He took up a collection among the soldiers which amounted to 2,000 drachmas of silver and sent it to Jerusalem to have a sacrifice for sin offered there. They did all this very well and rightly inspired by their belief in the resurrection of the dead. If they did not believe that their fallen companions would rise again then it would have been a useless and foolish thing to pray for them. But they firmly believed in a splendid reward for those who died as believers. 
Therefore, their concern was holy and in keeping with faith. Thus Judas had his, this sacrifice offered for the dead, so that the dead might be pardoned for their sin. So they offered a material sacrifice of 2,000 drachmas they gave to the temple and they prayed for the souls of those Jews who had compromised with the idols of Jamnia. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 22 and 23 says that heaven is the abode of the spirits of just men made perfect. In other words they've been made perfect and since we are sinners and we die imperfect we have to be made perfect. We all agree as Christians that there is no sin in heaven and we won't be sinning up there. So if we die as sinners now, we have to go through a purification. And Revelation chapter 21 verse 27 says, Nothing in unclean will enter it, that's heaven, or anyone who does what is shameful or false. And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says it is appointed for men to die once and after that the judgment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 says we are saved through an ongoing work of sanctification. Matthew chapter 12 verse 36 says that on judgment day you'll have to give an account of every idle word or every useless word you have spoken. And in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 35, we read the story of the unforgiving servant. And he owed a massive debt to the king. The king forgave him. Then as soon as he walked free, he found a man that owed him a small debt. And he then went and throttled him and had him thrown into prison to get the debt out of him. And then when the king heard about that, he sent him away to prison until every cent was paid. And in those days, in the time of Jesus, people that were heavily in debt went to a place called debtor's prison. And in the debtor's prison... They would stay there until their family or relatives paid for them to get out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 11 to 15 says that each person's works will be tested with fire and some will only be saved as through fire. Luke chapter 12 verses 35 to 48 says that believers must be ready for Christ's return and there are punishments for those who are not ready. And 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 16 to 18 Paul refers to a dead man called Onesiphorus and prays that God will have mercy on him on judgment day for all the good he did. So, he writes, May God, 
show mercy on the household of Onesiphorus, for he often came to visit me, and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, on arriving in Rome, he searched for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well all the services he rendered at Ephesus. So he talks about this man in past tense. And he says, may God have mercy on him. And then we come to Wisdom chapter 3. Wisdom chapter 3 verses 1 to 9. But the souls of the just are in the hands of God, and no torment shall touch them. In the eyes of the foolish they appear to be dead, their departure is held as a disaster, and their going away from us total destruction. But they are in peace, though seemingly they have been punished. Immortality was their sure hope. After slight affliction will come great blessings, for God has tried them and found them worthy to be with him. After testing them as gold in the furnace, he has accepted them as a holocaust. Holocaust here meaning a, a sacrifice. At the time of his coming, they will shine and run about like sparks through the stubble. They will govern nations and rule over peoples, and the Lord will be their king forever. Those who trust in him will penetrate the truth. Those who are faithful will live with him in love, for his grace and mercy are with his chosen ones, and his protection is with his holy ones. So being holy and close to God is the key to coming into peace after death. Nevertheless, purgatory seems to fly in the face of a merciful God. After all, if one has repented of their sins, shouldn't they just be forgiven? Shouldn't they go straight to heaven? Well, in the Bible, when people repented of their sins, they were forgiven, but they were not always free from the consequences of that sin. Numbers chapter 20 verse 12 says that Moses and Aaron even though they had repented, they were punished with not seeing the promised land. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we read the story about David after his adultery with Bathsheba and organising the death of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. The prophet Nathan comes to David and he tells them the parable and David becomes furious. He tells them a story about a man who had lots of sheep. And then there was a family that had uh, just one lamb that they loved like a family member. And the man has visitors over, so he steals the sheep off the poor man, slaughters it and eats it. And it says, David was furious when he heard this. And he said, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves death. He must return the ewe lamb fourfold for acting like this and showing no compassion. 
So David clearly knew the Old Testament. He knew that if you stole off someone, you had to pay four times as much as Deuteronomy says. But he'd forgotten about the weightier commandments against murder and adultery. And then Nathan says, you are the man. And David says in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered him, The Lord has forgiven your sin, you shall not die. However, because you have dared to despise the Lord by doing such a thing, the child that is born to you shall die. And he also says earlier in the chapter, verse 7 and onwards, he says that there will be great division in your family from here on. And we read the story about how Amnon raped his sister Tamar, they were both children of David, and then Absalom, one of his sons, went and murdered Amnon, and then later briefly took over Israel and drove his father into exile for a while and was then killed. And David died a bitter hurting man. The Lord had forgiven him, he repented, but he still had to suffer consequences and Matthew chapter 5 verse 19 says that some will be called great in the kingdom of heaven and others will be called least in the kingdom of heaven this is a huge challenge for all of us myself included when we sin we should think that there could be consequences even if we do repent and we ought to be greatly fearful of sinning against our holy God. Finally, we should ask ourselves, what did the early church believe about purgatory? In Jimmy Atkins' book, The Fathers Know Best, page 386 onwards, it talks about some early Christian inscriptions. And this is Christian inscription 34, dated at 150 AD. My mother is Eucharist, my father is pious. I pray you, O brethren, to pray when you come here and to ask in your common prayers the Father and the Son. May it be in your minds to remember, dear Agape, that the omnipotent God may keep Agape safe forever. And then there is the Acts of Paul and Thecla. After the, which is 160 AD, after the exhibition, Tryphena again receives her, for her daughter Falconilla had died, and said to her in a dream, Mother, you shall have this stranger Thecla in my place, so that she may pray for me, and that I may be transferred to the place of the just. And then in other inscriptions, they prayed for that. And then we have Tertullian in his treatise on the soul, 35. He will deliver you over to the angel who is to execute the sentence and he will commit you to the prison of Hades out of which there will be no dismissal until the smallest even of your delinquencies be paid 
off in the period before the resurrection. What can be a more fitting meaning than this? What a truer interpretation. And then he also said, Tertullian in chaplets, free. This was in AD 211. The other one I quoted was 210 AD. He writes, we offer sacrifices for the dead on their birthday anniversaries. And then we have Cyprian of Carthage. The church crowned with so many virgins flourishes, and chastity and modesty preserve the tenor of their glory. Nor is the vigour of continence broken down because repentance and pardon are given to the adulterer. It is one thing to stand for pardon, another thing to attain glory. It is one thing when cast into prison not to go out from there until one has paid the uttermost farthing. Another thing at once to receive the wages of faith and courage. It is one thing, tortured by long suffering for sins, to be cleansed and long purged by fire. Another to have purged all sins by suffering. It is one thing to be in suspense until the sentence of God at the day of judgment. Another to be at once crowned by the Lord. By the Lord. And that is in letters 51 verse 20 in AD 252 and Lactantius in 307 AD in his Divine Institutes chapter 7 verse 21 in 307 AD says but when he shall have judged the righteous he will also try them with fire so this is people that have died and standing before the judgment seat, then they whose sins shall exceed either in weight or in number shall be scorched by the fire and burned, but they whom full justice and maturity of virtue has imbued will not see that fire, for they have something of God in themselves that repels and rejects the violence of the flame. So great is the force of innocence, and the flame shrinks from it without doing harm. It has received this power from God that it burns the wicked and is under the command of the righteous. And so, my friends, that's just a brief um, example of what the early church believed. And so, we find here that those who die with serious sin in their life that they haven't repented of and done proper prayers and penance for may go to purgatory. Now people may ask me who goes to purgatory and how long are they in there and I will say I do not know it is for God alone to judge. But what the Catholic Church does teach about purgatory it's not as detailed as some of those church fathers claim it's, there's not a great deal said about it except that it is a perfect place the person who is in purgatory is closer to God than when they were on earth and they're incapable of sinning but the cleansing process in purgatory is passive it's what God does and God purifies them we do not know how long for 
but they get purified there before being brought into glory. Thank you for listening, and God bless you.